Welcome to Beyond the Show, the podcast home of all things Cannabis Conference. My name is Eric Sandy, and I'm the digital editor of the Cannabis Group at GIE Media. This week, I'm very excited to have Tony Lang, associate editor for our three brands, that's Cannabis Business Times, Cannabis Dispensary, and Hemp Grower, joining me in studio at Beyond the Show World Headquarters. Tony, how is it going today? It's going pretty well. appreciate you having me on. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been fun, of course, for the past few weeks to talk about the show. We're a little bit removed from it at this point. Um, but this 2021 show was your first cannabis conference with the team. Um, and uh, obviously, as we've been saying for a few weeks now, it was uh, jam-packed with all sorts of great speakers and great events, great uh, educational sessions along the way. But what were some of your uh, initial impressions of this uh, this first outing out in Vegas? Yeah, I mean, it was just an a very exciting time overall. Um, for those who don't know, I started with the cannabis group uh, back in the beginning of January, and I come from a, a local newspaper background, so this was my very first trade show of any kind. And not only was it exciting to get out and meet some of the faces that we interview on a daily basis here at Cannabis Business Times, but just to see the excitement and the interest from the onset of the conference and energy within the rooms during sessions. Um, obviously, I was told ahead of time that it was a very educational show. That's what makes our show stand out. And uh, there's uh, definitely no shortcoming on that front in terms of what was provided to people who attended. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. I really loved the program this year. And yeah, I mean, I love that that point that you were making of just sort of putting faces to names and Obviously, that was a little tricky with uh, with the mask mandate, trying to put masked faces to names. Um, but it really was amazing to see everybody out there. And, you know, there are so many folks who are kind of, I don't know, we use the phrase like friends of the magazine. Some of them are advisory board members and they help us plan it. Others are, you know, I think there are a few folks who have been at all five cannabis conferences as speakers. So definitely a, a devoted crowd out there. Yeah, it was it was it was great. Um, and. One one of the big things, though, was, you know, you when you think of our industry, there's a lot of stigmas. And when you think of a cannabis show, you might think of a bunch of people coming out to smoke up, toke up, have fun and party. But that that was not the nature of our show at all, um, at least from where I was sitting at. And uh, I think it, that was mo no more evident than it was in one of the sessions that I attended with. Dr. Uh, Ray Cloyd, um, a regular contributor to our, our magazine, our print magazine. Um, for those who don't know, he's a professor at Kansas State University in the Department of Entomology. Is that right? I believe so. Yeah, entomology. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, I was attending his session um, as a as a moder not as a moderator, basically just attending it to make sure everything went okay. And uh, going in, you know, I'd read I'd read some of his articles. One of the articles in our August edition of Cannabis Business Times was uh, how to fight cannabis pests with bugs, basically. So basically <laughs> fighting bugs with bugs. And it just kind <laughs> of like, what what is this guy talking about? And that was one of the things he talked about in his session. Um, I went in with the, you know, with the notion that this was just going to be a bunch of plant and insects, people who. You know, I don't want to put any labels on people. I, I thought it was going to be a session where you nerd out and everything. And I was totally wrong going into that. Um, a lot of the stuff was over my head. But 
you can, it was just so unique where these are the people who attended that session were actual plant growers struggling with pest problems. Every time he'd ask if, if people have struggled with a certain pest, um, and I don't know how to pronounce any of their names, but <laughs> me neither, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, everyone would raise their hand and people were taking pictures of his slide with their cell phone. And it was just a true valuable thing where these are people's livelihoods on the line with, you know, being able to keep pests and mitigate pests from their cannabis plants. And Dr. Ray Cloyd, you know, offered solutions to those people's live livelihoods. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the cool things as we've gone on over the years, putting this show together and obviously putting the magazine together and the website, the newsletters um, is really providing a platform to connect folks like Dr. Cloyd, who's been in the entomology game for a number of years with cannabis growers who maybe they've been growing cannabis for a number of years, or maybe they just started when their state flipped over to medical or adult use or whatever the case might be connecting uh, these different backgrounds in one place to learn about, like, I mean, like you're saying, a pretty complicated topic. Um, I know the first time I met Dr. Cloyd was, um, let's see, it was the 2018 cannabis conference and it was in Oakland, California at the time. And I, I knew his byline, you know, was aware of, of the pieces he had written for Cannabis Business Times and was aware of this phrase, integrated pest management. Um, but, you know, again, didn't really know what that meant entirely. Um, but what I liked about his presentation that year, and uh, I'm sure it was uh, similar this year. I wasn't in the room this time, unfortunately. But but Dr. Cloyd's kind of got like a college classroom environment at these conferences, which obviously makes sense. He's teaching uh, at, a, at a college level. Um, but he sort of holds court as a as a pretty fun professor uh, every time he's out of the show. Yeah, he was he he was very uh, interactive with the audience for sure, and walking around with his with his slides wasn't just sitting back in his chair and putting his feet up, so to speak. So yeah, for someone, for a subject that might not be, you know, so clear cut and, you know, ABC for the average person such as myself, he made it very uh, engaging. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the speaker list was great and, you know, we're sort of already beginning to put together the speaker list for 2022 and uh, and that's something that we're always looking for is is that that level of engagement. Um, you know, one area that actually didn't really get much press, so to speak, or much uh, ink during the conference. It was sort of a, I guess, a private private event. But we put together the Cannabis Leadership Awards during the show, and and this was sponsored by Foes, and it was a, a really great reception after day two at Cannabis Conference this year. And um, while the event itself was was sort of an invite only situation, we did put together a package in print and online, uh, did profiles of of a, of a handful of um, just great leaders in different areas of the cannabis space. And we haven't talked about it too much on this show yet, I was realizing as I was putting together the notes for this one. Uh, so I wanted to sort of spotlight that while you were here, Tony, because I know obviously you had a big role in that. And uh, you put together one of the profiles and gave one of the speeches that night. So just wanted to get a sense from you of, uh, well, if you could share uh, the person you profiled, but also just uh, your impressions from that night. Yeah, first off, you know, for people who don't know, our our uh, Cannabis Leadership Awards was a pretty intensive selection process. We had a bunch of people turn in uh, um, nominations. nominations, thank you, 
And uh, our editorial team, you know, really took that process seriously in terms of wanting to recognize the right people. We, we ended up choosing six uh, industry leaders. Uh, we could have chose a lot more. There was tons of good nominations. Uh, one of the people, the person whom I um, interviewed, wrote a story on and gave a speech for, uh, her name is Negus Bebe. She is the um, the VP of public policy at Columbia Care, which many of you know. They have a, a large footprint in the U.S. I think they're in 18 U.S. states. Um, very big on um, advocating for medical cannabis and whatnot. And, you know, many people, when they think of leaders in the cannabis industry, they might think of you know, plant touching individuals. We had a dispensary owner too, people uh, like Graham from Glass Out Farms, who's right up close with the plant every day, as you can see on his uh, Friday tw uh, social media videos that he puts out, which are great. Um, but Niggas is one of those, you know, behind the scenes person, people who, you know, she advocates for policies that allow these plant touching people, these dispensary owners to have businesses. Um, she's, she's a member, not only as, is she very involved in Virginia in particular, um, she's on the, the Virginia normal board there, but she's involved in all of these states that Columbia care um, has a footprint in, in terms of shaping, not just policy to legalize cannabis, but to legalize, but purposeful policy that allows these cannabis uh, companies, businesses, participants, stakeholders to succeed. Um, so her job and others like her are very important in just moving the industry forward in creating an inclusive industry and one that can not just be there and open to people, but the right policies are very important from her point of view. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, having her her expertise out there at the show was was super cool. The whole leadership awards ceremony was awesome. I mean, people can check out the profiles at cannabisbusinesstimes.com uh, in the magazine archive section. And actually, uh, Niggas jumped on stage and helped out with the federal legalization panel. So, I mean, to your point, this idea of uh, shaping policy um, as it evolves. I mean, the way that we're talking about federal, federal legalization now is different than the way we were you know, two or three years ago, and Niggas is very much a part of that conversation. Uh, so it was super cool to have her up on that session as well. Yeah, for sure. And she's also very involved in not just Virginia, but the New York, uh, New York's efforts, which are just getting underway there with, uh, you know, earlier this month, the Cannabis Control Board in New York just had their first uh, board meeting. And it was actually um, focused on expanding their medical program, not adult use. But uh, yeah, Niggas, uh, she's the president of the states uh, of the New York's uh, Medical Cannabis Industry Association. So she's very big on re retaining the, the medical um, value of, of the industry and making sure patients have access and whatnot. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, New York's going to be super fun to watch. Um, well, maybe fun's not the right word. I mean, it will be fun on some level, but uh, it'll be a, a very you know, involved process. And uh, yeah, Niggas definitely has a seat at that table in uh, in some ways and and we're sort of eagerly reporting as that that state takes shape honestly you know so much to talk about with the show uh tony just wanted to thank you for for stopping by the studio today and uh and talking a bit about about the show yeah it's my pleasure thanks for having me on 
Absolutely. For our feature interview this week, I got the chance to talk shop with Julian Rose, the R&D director and master chef at INSA, a vertically integrated cannabis business based in Massachusetts. If you're anywhere in the vicinity of Mass right now in mid-October, you know that it's just about peak fall foliage out there. The leaves are changing, the brisk autumn wind is picking up, and the pumpkin spice lattes are selling like pumpkin spice lattes. Julian's team at INSA wanted to capture that mood in the kitchen, so they began rolling out caramel apple and orange chai latte gummies for the season, along with a pumpkin pie caramel crumble chocolate bar, which just sounds delicious. Uh, but how's a team like Julian's pivot with the seasons, and what goes into the fine art of mastering cannabis confections? With 40 years of experience working as a chocolatier and pastry chef domestically and internationally, Julian Rose brings a deep well of knowledge to INSA. Adding a dash of cannabis to his creations is just the latest challenge he has greeted in his career. So please enjoy my conversation with Julian Rose. Well, thank you, Julian, for joining us on the show this week. Very glad to get a chance to have sort of a, a seasonal conversation with you about edibles and, uh, and so much more as well. Of course, I wanted to just begin with some of the um, sort of autumn-themed gummy flavors that you've been working on over at INSA in Massachusetts, uh, specifically orange chai latte, pumpkin pie caramel crumble, and caramel apple, which, of course, as I look out my window and see the leaves changing here in Ohio, uh, seem very appropriate. So just wanted to maybe begin there and, and see, you know, obviously autumn has a bunch of great flavors associated with it, but uh, what were some of the initial goals or even steps that you took to kick off these autumn flavors? Yeah. So, uh, you know, as, as a company, we, we try to be sensitive to, you know, trends and what customers like and, uh, and also dislike, you know, you, you need to be conscious and aware of what uh, customers want or are looking for. Of course, every year, if you follow kind of the food industry, there's there's trends, you know. So trends such as the pumpkin spice, you know, really kind of spearheaded by uh, Starbucks a decade ago. Um, you know, it, these are flavors that people recognize, number one, and flavors that people, I think, gravitate around. And what's interesting about seasonal products is it's really kind of uh, specific where a season rolls in, people feel like having a little bit more, as cold weather comes in, people feel like having a little bit more high calorie, sweeter things, more comfort because it's getting cold outside. So when we pick flavors, you know, we do it as a group and we, we brainstorm of what, what is seasonal, what is uh, trendy, and then also what is doable because there's sometimes flavors that might be a little bit out there. Uh, or not common enough where customers would recognize those flavors. Um, so, you know, the caramel apple came as one choice. We had, you know, uh, chai actually uh, as a gummy. We had uh, coffee, cappuccino, iced coffee, gravitating around all sorts of ideas. And we even had the, the concept of doing a turkey dinner, which would have been roasted turkey, cranberry, and potato, you know, but as a flavor, it was it was interesting. And uh, the only reason why we did not do it is because uh, our flavor suppliers were struggling with uh, achieving a flavor that's, you know, I'd call it palatable. But it would have been fun, you know. So this is flavor that is out there. It would have been very novel. Would have would have had soul. 
I'm not sure. So uh, caramel apple was a great choice. And I always experiment, do a couple of renditions, you know, with a little bit more caramel, a little bit more apple. And then I, I tweak the flavors until I'm happy with, um, you know, a, a well-balanced flavor. So that's how we approached for the, the gummy. And the chocolate bar, same thing. I didn't want to just do pumpkin spice. So I wanted to do a pumpkin pie where you have kind of that addition of like whipped cream, um, creaminess as as you might imagine um and then the crumble came up about i wanted to represent if it's a pumpkin pie it has to have a crust or something crunchy so i um created this bar that is a, on a base of a caramel white chocolate with pumpkin flavor and then the the spicy notes and crunchiness comes from the sprinkle we put on top but as a whole that's that's how we we came about that flavor and of course, they they come in and they go out. So I think the the uh, caramel apple gummy or drop has sold out. I think already uh, the bars are hitting the market now. So we'll see. Perfect. Yeah, I can imagine uh, they're quite a popular and very timely uh, set of items here. And I love all the different elements that go into this. Um, before going sort of further down this road, I, I wanted to pause real quick and and get a sense of just uh, your background. Prior to coming to INSA, I know you've worked in both the CBD and wellness spaces as well as uh, chocolate more generally. Um, but if you could sort of give us a brief biographical sketch and then maybe discuss what brought you to INSA and cannabis more specifically. Sure, of course. Um, so I, my background is uh, really classical French pastry and confectionery. Um, so I was basically raised in a bakery. My parents had a bakery. Uh, in Canada, and um, so that was my childhood, really, and my uh, adolescence also. Uh, we we were just around pastries and cakes and bread all the time, so this was something that was natural for me. It was, um, I thought it was normal for everyone to have just access to great bread and croissants and pastries, uh, which which drove me, of course, to do my classical training in pastry and confectionery. And uh, that followed by, I did multiple specialty classes and uh, seminars. I went to Europe, came back, worked in restaurants, uh, as well as on, in my parents' bakery. And me and my brother took over the bakery. We, we grew it, uh, we doubled it, and then doubled it again. And, um, and I created a department of uh, fine, fine French chocolates or bonbons. Uh, back in 85 and I, I had a quite a good following of customers in Canada and Montreal where uh, people recognized that our our chocolates and our flavors were you know top quality comparable to what you would see in Europe and that was really my goal uh, and that brought me to work for another large uh, chocolate company uh, called Calibo and Calibo is a global leader in chocolate manufacturing for for the food industry globally. So this company has factories all around the world and I was based in a, one of their factories uh, just up, up uh, north of Montreal, a little town called St. Hyacinth. And in that factory, we also had a training center, training center for professionals only. So I started doing classes there, uh, which turned into a full-time gig, I guess, and um, did that for about eight years. Uh, which brought me to travel all around 
Canada, U.S., and Mexico, and Caribbean um, as a corporate chef, if you will, or technical advisor. And my job was to, uh, you know, educate people on how to use chocolate, how to create break cakes and pastries and chocolates and so on. Uh, and then I did some consulting uh, after that job. I did some consulting, which turned into um, one of my consulting jobs in Portland, Oregon, turned into a full-time job. So um, I did move from Montreal. I moved to Oregon. I was there for 12 years and then went back to consulting. Uh, and then I was consulting for INSA. Um, and I, as, as you mentioned earlier, I did work a little bit in, in CBD in Oregon. There was an up uh, startup company that uh, was doing a CBD multiple products. Um, they are not, uh, th that company closed by now. Uh, they were bought out and they just moved everything. Um, but while I was doing the CBD work in, in Oregon, I was also doing some consulting for INSA. And I thought that INSA was so well grounded on, on what their objectives were. They were extremely serious. They were very business focused about bringing quality, great products, um, repeating, in, repeating the products uh, in quality and really kind of innovating. And that's why we were working as, as a consultant client relationship. Uh, and this one also turned into, you know, an offer. And I was uh, very impressed by the owners. I was impressed by their installation, their quality. And so I did the, the move from Oregon to Massachusetts just last year, actually, just about a year ago. So, you know, I've been in the, in the confectionery world for about 45 years now. So I've been around. Excellent. Uh, well, I got to imagine it's, it's an exciting um, new sort of challenge to jump into. And, you know, I was thinking, of course, making a pumpkin pie is one thing, but adding cannabis and, and all of the different chemical compounds within cannabis does seem like a whole different um, type of game. Uh, I know this maybe is a big question or, or an overly broad question, but what are some of the main challenges uh, of going to creating these sorts of edibles with cannabis that you might not have had to deal with in the past? Um, how do you how does that factor into creating? Uh, again, like the pumpkin pie, caramel crumble edibles. Yeah, actually, you know, from the point of view of, of manufacturing, the cannabis uh, distillate or, or oils are really just uh, another ingredient. Um, of course, some of those distillates, especially FSOs, they carry some herbal or grassy notes that are more or less desirable. But so we're vertically integrated, so we grow dry, process, extract, and of course, produce edible. So we, we have control internally on, on the, the oils. And our lab does a great job at refining and purifying the, the distillate. So we use distillate typically for all of the edibles. Uh, and I, I would describe it as very clean. So it, it has uh, not, I would not describe that funky uh, odor or taste that you have in FSO. Although we are, we are launching some FSO products soon, it becomes um, a little bit of a challenge. You're right that it's a challenge to add cannabis with its own um, 
specific handling capacities, you know, so when we, when we add anything into a water base, such as a gummy or uh, a pectin based gummy, like we do, the, the fruit puree we use is water, water based, of course, and then we add more water and sugar and glucose. But as you, you try to force mix distillate, which is pure oil, if you will, from the cannabis plant, if you, if you force to mix distillate to a water-based solution, you have to have a, a high shear mixing, so which means a high intensity mixing for a certain period of time to disperse as, as fine as fine as possible droplets between the water droplets. So in a water base, it becomes a very physical and chemical uh, aspect, which I need to, to be aware of. In chocolate, now we're dealing oil with oil or oil with fat. Cocoa butter fat is a natural occurring fat. Distillate is a natural occurring fat or oil from the cannabis. So they actually blend and mix very well. So they're fat with fat. There is no push out or they, they don't repel each other. Um, so as, as, a, as a chef, I look at it as a, another ingredient. And my job and my experience, I guess, would, would bring me to think what is going to marry well with this, this delicate flavor or this slight off flavor that you people might detect of the cannabis. And naturally, you know, when we do something with mint, mint, for example, is, is so um, potent in flavor and is so uh, strong that a mint is actually a great uh, masking, masking agent for cannabis. Um, and it's also herbal. So you see that there's parallels that can be drawn and it certainly makes my job easier. When we do something like the pumpkin pie crumble, um, again, it, it's, I have to imagine in my head, what is it going to taste like? Is it going to be compatible? Um, and, it, you know, we, we use also, also little secrets of the industry to, uh, to make our products uh, very, very tasty and palatable. Number one is using real ingredients, real purees, real fruit, uh, no artificial colors or flavors. Uh, but then we, we do a little bit of magic uh, between that. Fantastic. Yeah, you know, I've got to imagine, too, that a lot of these types of products are just more familiar to customers, or, or new customers, rather, who who might be able to you know, who might be more familiar with, say, a pumpkin pie or orange chai latte, these sorts of flavors, rather than jumping into um, cannabis flour or, or vape cartridges or, or what have you. Um, yeah. I'm curious, how does, uh, how does the dosage get factored in here? I, you know, I know I'm imagining these gummies and the chocolates that we're talking about and the mints are coming in at different uh, levels of, of THC, different dosages. Um, is that a challenge to work with when you're trying to dial in either a small dose or a large dose? Yeah, it is specifically like very small doses. So we've been, we've been talking about doing micro dosing for, for all sorts of reasons. You know, I think as an entry level customer, people that have never tried or are maybe older folks that just want to have a relief or sleep, you know, relaxation. I think microdosing is is very interesting and should be looked at. The challenge there is, of course, the microdosing. Um, here in Massachusetts, the the serving size is uh, five milligrams of THC per serving. 
So to give you an example, our, our chocolate bar has 20 servings. So basically 100 milligrams of THC. Uh, so the, the customer would break one twentieth of the bar, eat that, and they have a five milligram uh, dosage. And you're right. The, the, the challenge is, of course, when we have get our distillate from the lab, we send, we send the, the cannabis products at all sorts of stages. They go out for third-party testing. So we have certified labs that are outside of our company. We send the cannabis, they test it, they give us results. We send the distillate, we send it out, we get results. To give you an example, so if the distillate comes back at 85% potency of THC, then we do a calculation on the batch size. So if we to give you a, a sense of it, let's say we have 100 pounds of chocolate, we do a very, very a specific scaling of the 100 pounds, then we do a math calculation on the potency and the serving size and the bar size. So there's kind of a triangular calculation that we do. And then this gives us a certain amount of distillate to add to this 100 pounds of chocolate. Then we do a very intense mixing. Uh, in the case of chocolate, we mix for a very long time to have perfect homogenization. And then, uh, then we start making the bars after tempering it. Uh, so there's multiple steps, but it's it's basically we do a calculation of potency in relationship to the batch size. Gotcha. Yeah, definitely a lot of uh, interesting calculations that go into that. And it, it does seem more and more like, um, you know, on one hand, you can satisfy larger doses with, with edible products like this, simply taking maybe multiple bites of that chocolate bar, for instance, or that that, you know, growing microdose segment, uh, you know, a, a 2.5 milligram or, or what have you. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's where, that's where it's, it's tricky because, uh, although we take a lot of precautions in, in very precise scaling and dosing, there's still, I would say if you've interviewed lab, lab people, there's still some gray zones in this, in this world of cannabis. There's gray zones, meaning that there's reactions and chemical reactions with certain elements that are still not understood. And the smaller, the smaller you want to dose, the harder it is to get precise. And you can imagine five milligrams. So there's a thousand milligram in one gram. And the one gram of oil is about the size of the tip of a, a pencil. You know, so it's, it's not very big. One gram is very small, and five one thousandth of that is extremely, extremely small. Um, so the smaller fraction you get, the, the harder it is to get extreme precision. Uh, I can tell you that even at five milligrams, it, it's difficult. We we often are a little bit over, a little bit under, uh, rarely uh, spot on, and this is unexplained by everybody that works in this industry. There's these uh, variables, and it, it goes down to even temperature. If you if you deposit at a certain temperature, you might get a different uh, different data reading than if you do it colder or warmer. So these gray zones are still you know unexplained, and the industry is looking and doing research for to try to solve and, and answer these questions, but it's still 
a little bit of uh, mystery. Yeah, that's a, a really good point. And, and again, underscores that need for further research where, you know, we see that all over the, the market right now and certainly in edibles. Um, yeah. uh, well, Julian, looking ahead to uh, either the winter or even next year, you know, I know there may be things in the works that maybe you and INSA aren't ready to announce yet per se, but uh, what sort of things are you working on? Uh, and this could be either flavors or new edibles types, um, things that you're working on either learning or putting into practice uh, in the kitchen. Yeah, so for, for holidays, I can, I can give you a scoop. Uh, we're gonna have uh, champagne truffle, uh, champagne, sorry, uh, uh, drops or gummies. So those champagne uh, drops are gonna be made with Chardonnay wine. We boil it down to evaporate the alcohol and then we start the, the recipe by adding sugar, pectin, uh, glucose syrup, champagne flavor, natural champagne flavor. And then we cook that down, um, adjust the acidity and make the drops that way. So um, these are actually really good. They're, they're it's like a delicate fruity, fruity grape uh, notes. Uh, there's no alcohol again, it's just all evaporated. And then we dose those uh, drops at five milligrams per piece, 20 per can. And then for the chocolate bar, we're going to have uh, a peppermint candy cane crush uh, dark chocolate bar. So it's dark chocolate with uh, real peppermint and candy cane crushed on top. Uh, you know, the red and white candy cane that everyone knows and enjoys. So that's like a really uh, super, super uh, seasonal bar that is very Christmas and hopefully, you know, those are going to hit the market, I believe just after or, or just about at the Thanksgiving time. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm making a note of those champagne drops. This sound uh, incredible. <laughs> yeah. And I'll be working on uh, Valentine's actually uh, very soon, probably next week. So we're, we're having, we haven't decided the specifically on flavors. I'm going to do a new, a new truffle for sure. So we also launched uh, back in August, we launched a peanut butter cup um, that are amazing. So they're about, uh, they're about 14 grams. They look like a French chocolate bonbon that you would buy in a high end uh, store, like, a, you know, Lint or Godiva, if you will. Uh, so we make those chocolate peanut butter cups in house. We, I make the, the filling. So we have probably about 50% more peanut butter than, uh, the industrial candies that everyone knows. And uh, so those are uh, selling faster than we can make them. And for Valentine, we're gonna have a version of this uh, same size of a truffle or bonbon, uh, which is gonna be red velvet cake. So that's gonna be really good. Fantastic. And we haven't decided, haven't decided on a, a drop yet. I love it. Well, like you were saying earlier, just the, the different seasons pretty much gives you a, a fun new palette every couple months, really. So it's, yep. it's kind of a never ending cycle. It's got to be a lot of fun. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Excellent. Well, a lot to look forward to there. And of course, we've got a, you know, we're heading into autumn here as the leaves continue to turn, uh, especially in your neck of the woods out there in Mass, I'm sure. Um, yeah, very nice. Most definitely. Well, Julian, thanks so much for joining us on the show. It's great to get a chance to talk to you and learn a bit more about what INSA is up to and also just uh, some of the more technical sides of the edibles world. It's, it's super Absolutely. interesting. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. And that's a wrap on another episode of Beyond the Show. 
Hope you enjoyed that very seasonal conversation with Julian Rose, the R&D director and master chef at INSA out in Mass. I know I did. Sort of gets me in the spirit of fall. Definitely feeling that as I look out the window and, and see the leaves changing in our own neck of the woods here at Beyond the Show World Headquarters. Also very glad that Tony Lang got to join us earlier in the show, too. It's always nice to have some staff members here. We're going to keep doing that uh, as time goes on. You know, going back to Cannabis Conference 2021, uh, talking about our experience out there this year, maybe even going into previous years. As I mentioned, uh, the 2018 show out in Oakland. We've got a lot of archives to draw on. And of course, we've got Cannabis Conference 2022 coming up in August out in Vegas again. You can check out CannabisConference.com. That's where we're going to put all the information as we put it together and begin planning the next three-day event. Be sure to sign up for the newsletter because we will have information coming soon. In the meantime, I'll see you every Friday.